Um, but the second was when I looked at the line communion of saints, I really questioned, you know, where do you go to talk about the communion of saints? What, what, what do you talk about? And as a good Presbyterian, of course, I went to um, the Bible, um, and then shortly after that to the Westminster Confession of Faith. And before we begin, I, I, you should all have a handout. There's a handout back here on this back chair. Um, and if you look at that handout, um, there is a list of scripture on the second part underneath saints. Um, and I need to divvy up those readings. Um, because what I thought might be most beneficial is to exacerbate the New Testament understanding of what the church actually is. So last week, Bill did a wonderful job of talking about the church. And I, ha I have a review on that. Um, we looked at the Holy Catholic Church. And what is the church? The church is those who are holy. And the way that the New Testament understands that is those who are holy are saints. They've been sanctified by God's Spirit. They've been, in Old Testament terms, in the terms of Deuteronomy, they have been set apart from the world. And then Bill looked at the Catholic, the universal, both the visible and invisible church. All people whom God chose to save by His grace is what our confession says. And so we believe in a Catholic church, that there is one church there, even though the one church is divided through many denominations, um, even between East and West, um, that we believe that there is one church because we believe, as Paul says, that there is one God. And as Paul says in Ephesians 5, there is one head of his church. And so the invisible church is both the church past and the church future. And the invisible church is also those who have a saving knowledge of Christ and are saved from their sins. At the same time, we have a visible church, local congregations that you can actually see and experience God's redemptive purposes through his people. Uh, and then the Nicene Creed adds an apostolic, so holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And apostolic means that as a church, we we believe that we are following the teachings of the apostles. The, the entire basis for the New Testament, whether authorship was accepted or not of the letter or book, was, was the, that author an apostle or was that author closely, had a close relationship with an apostle? So Mark and Luke weren't apostles, but we believe that Mark was a disciple of Peter and we believe that Luke was a disciple of Paul. And so they have a close connection directly with the apostolic witness of who Jesus was and the teachings of Jesus. The only book in the Bible that doesn't fall underneath that, well, actually, there's actually a few, James and Jude weren't apostles, but they were closely related. They were the physical half-brothers of Jesus. And the only book that doesn't fall in that category is the book of Hebrews, and the author of Hebrews is actually unknown. The early church fathers actually thought Hebrews was written by Paul, um, but internal evidence um, leads us away from that. I, I personally, and this is just, take it as you will, a personal, um, I believe it's very, um, I've read very compelling arguments. I think Apollos actually wrote the book of Hebrews. And so we believe the Holy Catholic Apostolic 
church. And what is a church? A church is an assembly. Those who gather together as a new people. And I, I wrote down on here um, just some of the, the terminology um, or images that we see throughout the New Testament of what the church is. We see that the church is a new Exodus people. And the passage there on Luke 9 is the, the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus is um, glorified along with Moses and Elijah. And as he comes down from the mountain, it's almost as if all those people who followed Jesus are just like those who followed Moses through the Exodus. This theme is actually very prominent in Mark's gospel also of um, Jesus' saving acts as though the people are a new Exodus people. We're called citizens of the kingdom of God. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth have been given to me. He is claiming his kingdom, and those who follow this Jesus are a part of that kingdom. The church is called or referenced or the image of, is given of the family of God, the household of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the sheep of Christ, and the vine, those rooted in Christ. We see that um, as J Jesus says, I am the vine, you are my branches. And then we see Paul elaborate on that analogy actually in Romans chapter 11 when he speaks about who is the true Israel those who have been grafted in by faith into Christ. And if you notice, of all of those, all of these images are taken from Old Testament concepts of the exodus and the kingdom, of the sheep, of the bride. We think of the book of Hosea, a very graphic image of how the church or God's people are the bride of Christ. And so today, we're going to just be speaking about the communion of saints, of those who are united to Christ, as our confession says um, in chapter 26, those who are united to Christ through the, by the Spirit, through faith in the gospel, are necessarily, therefore, united to one another. And we are called to be united together. And so... Uh, um, this is, I have up here, um, I had Tom bring this up. Um, the State of Theology is a, is a survey that Ligonier, and I forget who, who they do this with. Uh, who? Lifeway. Lifeway. Um, I was thinking Barna, but I knew that wasn't right. And so every two years they do a State of Theology of just general questions for Americans and what they believe about scripture and truth and what the Bible teaches. And question 22 says, worship alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for regularly attending church. And Tom, if you could um, go over the far to the far right, far right, 35% agree with that statement. Now just work your way over, Tom. 32% say they somewhat agree. 9% aren't sure. God bless those 9%. 14% um, somewhat disagree. Um, and only 10% strongly agree. 
Yeah, sorry, sorry. Only 10% strongly disagree. And Tom, now can you go to statement 24? Every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. Now, this time, start to the far left. 36% of Americans who are somewhat affiliated with Christianity say that they strongly disagree that Christians have an obligation to join a local church. And much like the other one, it, the, the numbers aren't that much better. So 19% somewhat disagree, you know, bless those 8%. They're holding strong. Um, 19% somewhat agree, and 18% strongly agree. And w- what I hope that we see, and um, I'm going to ask a whole bunch of people to read these passages, is I want to overwhelm you this morning with how Scripture speaks of the church and the expectations that the New Testament authors have. Um, and primarily, we're going to be reading. Um, Paul's epistles. Um, But what we must understand is that in Paul's epistles, all of his letters are written to the church themselves or to individual people like Timothy and Philemon. But even those letters were read aloud in the church for the benefit of the church. And I need you to actually, I forgot to add a passage, the, the, actually the first passage I have on here. It's Acts 2, verse 42. And because that's not on there, I'll go ahead and read that. And if you would, um, just, just choose a passage. I don't want to sign anything. Just choose a passage that is close to your heart, and maybe that passage can become your life verse um, by God's divine providence. So Acts 2, 42. And they... Believers in Jesus, believers in the, in the, the gospel sermon that they just heard um, from Peter, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers. So th- this is Acts 2, Pentecost has just happened. Peter has just proclaimed the, the greatest sermon of all time um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And immediately we see that People who believe devoted themselves to the apostolic teaching, right? The the holy Catholic apostolic church. To fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So we see immediately Jesus is establishing his church on earth. Those who are set apart, gathered under his name, bearing witness to and following the truths of the apostles. Now, if someone can read Romans 1, verses 1 through 6. Maybe I should have assigned it. Nick. So, immediately we have 
Paul is serving this church as an apostle, set apart for the gospel, for the proclamation, according to the promises of the Old Testament, which he's received grace to bring about what in the church? Obedience. <clears throat> Whoa. Obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name. Among the nations, right? So not just one local church, but of one Catholic church, so that they may be called to belong to Jesus Christ. All right, um, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. Thank you, Ms. Carol. Christ has died for his church, and his call for his church is to be united together, dependent upon each other. And what I love about what, what I love about this passage is Paul's emphasis on the lesser parts as being just as important and vital to the whole. Oftentimes we might think of the ministry of the church or the health of the church is due to those who lead the church. But that's not what necessarily what Paul is saying here. He's saying that every member of the church, even the lesser members, are as essential for the vitality and the organic unity and the health of the church, even over its leaders. All right, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21.
Right, yeah. We could just let it speak for itself, right? Just uh, what I want you to, to call your attention to is, is the plural pronouns. The us, the we's. And all of those you's are really y'all's, right? They're, they're the you plural. ESV doesn't think y'all's actual word or it would be scattered throughout. And this is what our confession speaks of when it, when it talks about how although we are united to Christ through faith, we are also united to each other. We are united in a new creation, which is Christ. We as a people, have become the righteousness of God in Christ. Salvation always calls the individual to respond, but salvation in God always calls that individual to be a part of a community together, identified as the singular body of Christ. Okay, great. Galatians 6, 1 through 10. In Galatians, and as we will see in the, in the next text of Ephesians, um, it's, it's very interesting to hear, and I hear this primarily from, um, let me back up, I have heard this in the past, um, especially growing up in the 90s, um, of church planters always saying, you know, I just want to get back to the the, the, the first church, the church of Ephesus, the, church, the churches of Galatia, of this somehow getting back to the original church somehow would make the church more holy. But as Paul says here in Galatians, one of the biggest threats to the church in the first century is still one of the biggest threats of the church now, division. calling each other to keep watch over not 
of just you, but of yourselves. Living in a community that calls each other to have accountability, to be responsible for our decisions, and of course, always speak grace and mercy. But to live a part of this community means that you have to abide by the rules of that community. Right? Especially for those who are of the household of faith. There's that metaphor again. That we as Christians are called not to boast, but to bear one another's burdens. That contradicts the singularity of the evangelical church that says, me and my Bible. Or it's all about me and what Jesus tells me. Or my personal relationship with Jesus. You cannot bear another one, someone else's burden. You cannot do what the Bible commands you to do outside of the church. All right, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. One of the biggest struggles that the early Christian church dealt with was how to reconcile the Old Testament people of God and the call for the Gentiles to enter into the church. This is exactly what Paul is speaking about. He's, and what he's saying is that the biggest differences that you might see culturally or ethnically The biggest differences that we have that separate us, God has broken down that hostility and united us to Christ. The one thing that connects all of us 
is Jesus. Whether you're a Georgia fan or Tennessee fan or Memphis fan or Arkansas fan, the, the one thing that the one thing that all of us have in common is Jesus. I don't, I don't even know if that's true. I, I, I don't know if that is true. All right, um, so Ephesians 4, just, uh, just a page over, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. In verse 7, it says, by grace, what's given to each one of us, individuals, functioning in the unity of faith for one another. We cannot function as God has intended us to function individually. We need each other. Not only do you need the body, but you've, you've heard me say this. In the church, not only do you need the church, but the church needs you. And if you don't see that, 
you are missing your important role within the church. Because it, it, it says he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He gave particular people with particular gifts to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not so that they can do the work of ministry, but that the saints, the set-apart ones, the holy ones, God's people who have been chosen by him through faith to do the work of ministry. And this is so obvious. I mean, if, if you're up here on Wednesday night, we have volunteers coming up here doing the ministry of the church. Volunteers. That's everyone. Volunteering in a way that God has given them gifts to bless his church so that what? So that it works properly, building itself up in love. All right, Philippians 2, 14. That we might be a people that are without grumbling or disputing. So this is where we're starting to get real about this church body. Does this describe our church? Are we a people who are lights of the world? And yet do all things without grumbling and disputing. All right, uh, I'm going to skip 1 Thessalonians. I don't know if you've noticed, we've hit up every single one of Paul's letters so far. 2 Thessalonians 4.13. Oh, I'm going to skip my Colossians 1 too. Ah, hold on, let me see if I want to skip my Colossians 1. Yep, because that's the wrong verse anyway. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians 4. Oh, is it 1 Thessalonians 4? Yep, see see what I mean? It's not, it's not 4, it's 1 Thessalonians. Well, look at that. Go on to Hebrews, he says. All right, Hebrews 10.
let us not neglect meeting together. So, um, in, in, in looking at this community of saints, I read these two, or no, I didn't read all of them. I, I skimmed through these two books, What is the Church and Why Should I Join a Church? Just so you know, these, these little booklets, we have some of them out on our little bookshelves. You can go to Ligonier Ministry and download all these for free. These, these simple, these critical questions, they're free online. So that you don't, if you like books, take them. If you rather have them on, on your device, they are, they are free online. But this, this was the passage that kept coming up as I was thinking about this community of saints, the communion of saints, and is what's going to lead into 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So often we believe that the communion of saints is just that, is just wherever the saints are having community together, that, that, that that's what we're talking about. And as much as I, I, I do affirm our, our community groups or our small groups, Bible studies, as important as those are, youth group and children's ministry, that that is actually not the meeting together that the author of Hebrews has in mind. But the meeting together is actually as the full body, the church together as we read in Acts 2.42, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And now let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And then I just have some closing remarks. So I'm going to kind of jump around. I'm going to start in verse 1 and go to 4 and then jump to 14. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses into the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank of the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak to the sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are, are not those who eat the sacrifice participants in the altar? What do I imply then? The food offered to idols is anything, or is an idol is something, or is the idol is anything? No, I imply that the pagan sacrifice, what the pagan sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with the demons. You cannot drink of the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And then down to verse 17. But in the following instructions, I command you, of, of chapter 11, but the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together, is it not for the better, but for the worse? For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. 
When you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? For in eating, each one, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats of the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat and drink, eat, eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you were weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are dis- disciplined so that we, we may not be condemned along with the world. Hold on, Bill. Uh, let me make my point first, and then you can ask a question. So this meeting together, what, what we as a church call the means of grace, <clears throat> the preaching of the word, the sacraments, prayer, and what I would add is the fellowship or the communion of saints is something that is holy unto the church. Paul is condemning this church in Corinthians for dividing themselves really against in social classes. For creating churches of people who just look like them rather than having a church that is centered upon what we all have in common, which is Jesus. And as we partake of the supper, we partake of the sacraments, as we hear the word preached, that is where God in Christ binds us together because it is through our union with Christ, our being united to Christ, that we have union and communion together. And here's, here's what my biggest concern is for the church, so especially the American church. Is that if we say to ourselves that we are not willing to formally join a local church, we have bought into consumerism. We have bought in to say that I want the preached word, I want the sacraments, the baptism, the Lord's Supper, I want prayers, I want hospital visits, I want the children's programs, the catechism club and VBS, I want the benevolences that our church offers, but I want all of that without committing anything to you. And this mentality of not joining aligns with that, what can you do for me? Now, 
I think it's very important that if you are going to a church, if you're coming to this church or you're thinking of going to another church, I have, I have on the back of, of your handout questions that you could, should consider before you join a church. Is this church where my family will regularly be fed the word of God, which is emphasized in all of Paul's letters? Is this a church where the care for me and my family will be the priority? I completely understand that at, at Christ Presbyterian Church, we actually don't offer this, right, in every way. And what I mean by that is we, we, don't, have, we don't have in our church a family that has a child with special needs, I hope that if we have someone come with special needs, that we will do everything we can to go out of our way so that the care of that family will be shown as our type priority. But right now, we don't have that need. And you might say they don't have that need. We might need to go to another church that will feed my family the word but will meet that specific need of my family. Is this church where my family will experience meaningful Christian fellowship and accountability? Is this church where I can serve God and his people and use my gifts for her, the church, is benefit? The state of theology reveals... Holy smokes. I just looked at the time. The state of theology reveals that we don't like, Americans don't like this commitment to an organized governmental local church. This is hard. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. But, um, and I forgot what I was going to say. But I'll, So I'll, I'll end with this. The best way for this church and its elders and deacons to serve you is to know who you are. The only way that we can shepherd you in your needs and care for you and your family is to know those needs and to know who you are. And we can only practically do that for members. I'm not saying if you're a regular visitor, don't call me or tell us to pray for you. I, I want that. But our goal isn't that we are just regular visitors, but that we all join together and are united to Christ as his church for the benefit of you and for the benefit of us. Because just as much as you need us, we need you for the glory of Christ. Let me pray and then we'll end. Father, we thank you for your blessing us with the church. Father, keep us in harmony and unity. Keep us from complaining and deceit. Keep us in Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.